0: Welcome to the true safety podcast with Apollonia Rockwell where each week you hear from safety industry experts and leaders discussing safety culture Team development and the future of the safety industry If you are looking for help with your safety program or have questions head to true safety services.com slash podcast Let's get started
1: Everyone and welcome back to the True Safety Podcast. I am your host, Apollonia Rockwell, and holy smokes, I am so excited to talk to Brandon Schroeder today. Holy moly's! I was telling him offline that I am honored to have him on the podcast, honored to be able to hear his story and uh, Brandon, first of all, how are you doing this morning?
2: (laughs) Great. I just got back from a couple long weeks of travel, so this is my first day at home in a while, so I'm happy to sit down and get to talk safety a little more.
1: Yay! Well, I know you just spoke at the North Dakota Safety Com- Council, and was it the council or the conference?
2: Yeah, it was in, their annual conference. I forget if it's council or conference, but it's the North Dakota. <laughs> I think it's the North Dakota Safety Council. So,
1: Yeah, and the Granger Show in Orlando. And so Brandon's been all over the place, impacting lives and being able to share his story. And that's what I'm excited to dive into. Well, let me just pre uh, pretense for the, for the audience. The reason why I'm so excited to just have this conversation with Brandon is because he's not your um, typical CSP or somebody who knows all the regs in and out. Neither do I. I'm not that person either, but you have a real life practical view When it comes to safety, when it comes to workplace safety, when it comes to why, why does all of this matter? Like when people are taking safety training, when people are talking about safety programs, behavioral based safety stuff. um, There's a lot. And I think. Up the, the receiving end, the student in the classroom was always thinking, why am I here? Like, why is this important to me? Like, none of this is going to happen. And so Brandon has a super impactful story. And I would just, yeah, let the, let the audience know. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how, how did you get here?
2: Yeah, I started out my career right after high school. I signed up for an apprenticeship, got into the electrical apprenticeship, was probably one of the best things that I've ever done. Uh, You know, I kind of regret not going to college, but at the time, I just wanted to work. So I got into an electrical apprenticeship. I had an amazing experience at doing that. Um, I moved up through the company ranks very quickly. You know, uh, before I knew it, I was a foreman getting to do things how I wanted to do them. Uh, I got to run my first larger project. And, uh, you know, working up, coming up through the trade, I developed some not so good safety habits. Uh, Growing up as a kid on the farm, you know, I saw what happens if you don't take safety seriously. And I kind of grew up around you have to have a good safety mentality to make it out here because I was a farm kid and I developed a good work ethic. But uh, when I got into the apprenticeship, that experience transitioned well. Uh, I think what was missing and you know I started out in 1997 was safety really wasn't an emphasis it just uh was something we did because we were told we had to do it you didn't want to get in trouble by the safety guy no Okay one really, that
1: was kind of my go ahead go ahead
2: No one really thought about or at least the people around me I I didn't really know anyone who had anything bad happen to them I saw some close calls but anytime something happened, it was, well, that guy's an idiot. And it wasn't severe. It was just yeah. minor consequences. Nothing serious that I ever heard or saw happen to anyone.
1: That That's like my first question that I'm... I'm That's blaring in my mind is hearing that, you know, you're a hard worker, you're going through, um, you're going through this apprentice program and then you're getting um, promoted quickly. My question is, is during this time, was safety training given to you and what was your thoughts about it? So, I mean, were you in um, a bunch of official safety classes or? okay?
2: so we would do our or shock, shock training or they called it electrical safety work in the workplace. And this was back when I went through the apprenticeship it would have been in my second year okay. no, this would have been in 1999. And we talked a lot about shock and I knew I didn't want to get shocked. So I was very careful about shock and I thought that was an electrician's main hazard. There wasn't a lot of arc flash training going on back then. Uh, yes, NFPA 70E, which is the document that everyone refers to for electrical safety, was around. But most electricians back then didn't even know what it was. We didn't have the proper safety gear. I saw people doing you know, energized work because we were the best. We were the guys who got in there and, yeah, we can do this energized. Uh, it, it's dangerous, but we know what we're doing. Nothing's going to go wrong. And right. that was kind of the mentality that I came up around. And you know, for the most part, I never saw a lot go wrong. And I, I really didn't. And I also had you know OSHA 30 class that we took, or OSHA 10. And for the most part, that was the extent of our safety training. Um, it just wasn't enough to know the risks that you're out there dealing with and. Once I realized how frequently, and I didn't know until after my accident, how frequently these accidents happen or how things, how quickly things can go wrong for people, uh, it, it changed my perspective. But it took yeah. going through something like this for me to do the research and understand why all those rules and regulations were there.
1: Yeah. So jump to it, I guess. So then, what year, how old were you? How, what, bring us, you know, paint the picture for us. So what ends up happening?
2: I was a foreman out on a project. It was my first big project that I was running. It was in 2011. You know, before then I had done small projects with myself and two or three other guys, but I had a full crew on this job. This was 100% mine. All the decisions were coming through me, and uh, I got a call late in the day that they needed a temporary power cord moved, and. You know, it's three o'clock. I'm done at 3.30. Right when I got this request, I'm thinking, I don't want to do this today. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm not the person who's going to tell someone no. I can't do it. It wasn't in my, my vocabulary. Yeah. And I couldn't shut the project or shut the piece of equipment off because it was running right from the utility side. So the only way I could shut this off was to call the utility company. It's three o'clock. I've got 30 minutes to get this thing done. There's no way I can get the utility company involved and get this done on time or as quickly as I want to without staying late. So I'm thinking I'm going to need to wear my arc flash suit. And, you know, I was kind of safety conscious. I carried these in my van, but we didn't have enough for every person in the company to have a suit. So you kind of had to plan ahead. And one of my coworkers had borrowed the suit that it was assigned to me the day before for another project. And I said, yeah, go ahead. I can get it from you the next time. I'll see you at the shop before in the next few days, and I'll just get it back from you then. I hadn't anticipated doing this work that day. Um, So I go out to my van. I open up the back door, and I realize that my Arc Flash suit isn't there. Mm -hmm. But I thought about all my previous experience, all the times I had done this type of work, and nothing had ever went wrong. I thought I could do it one more time mm-hmm. and uh, I'd been around or seen the same type of work done countless times, It did not even seem dangerous to me with or without the safety gear. I was very confident in my abilities because of my previous experience. Yeah, I tried to push this, I got everything done, pulled the cord out of the bottom of the panel, relocated it the way they wanted, I was pushing it back up into the panel and I pushed it up over my head. There was another gentleman working with me. I thought he was gonna grab the cord. He didn't Mm -hmm. grab the cord, it hit me in the back. I thought that was him tapping me on the shoulder, saying he had the wire. Mm -hmm. I brought my hand down, and the wire flopped into the panel, creating an arc flash. A lot of people don't know what an arc flash is. The best way that I know how to explain it to people is if I were to take a pair of jumper cables and I hook it up to your car battery, If I take the other end and I touch them together, you're gonna see a small spark. But that's very low voltage, 12 volts at very low amperages. I'm hooked up to 480 volts, three phase with unlimited amounts of power coming from the utility company. Instead of a little spark, I got a huge explosion. A massive fireball came out of there. It Mm -hmm. started the ground on fire or the grass on fire. It shook a building a block away. It blew my entire palm off of my hand. It's, it uh, had little pinholes everywhere in my shirt. And why my clothing didn't ignite is the miracle in my story. I mean, my clothing definitely should have went up in flames. I, I got extremely lucky. You know, this was a huge explosion. It started the grass on fire around me. It shook a building a block away. There was a huge mushroom cloud up in the, of black smoke up in the air. Uh, most people, and they've done the calculations on this. I'm not going to bore you with the technical information on this, but most people that go through an arc flash, like I went to, they go up in flames. Mm -hmm. My shirt was soaked in sweat because it was hot out that day, but that is the only reason why my clothing did not ignite. And I was kneeling down and the explosion went over my head or I, I would not be here.
1: Oh my gosh. And so I have a million questions running through my mind, but first the gentleman that was with you. So what happens immediately after this traumatic event? I mean, what are you even conscious at this time?
2: Uh, Yeah, we're both conscious. I turn around and I look at him and he's just holding his face, screaming at me. He can't see. And I take his hands away and I'm thinking, Okay, I'm all right. I'm pretty good. Like he looked pretty good. I could tell nothing major. His eyesight was gone. I figured it was because of the, the flash. But I'm thinking he's gonna be all right. And I kept asking him how yeah. bad I was. And 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 he couldn't tell yeah. me. He was losing his composure. And I don't know why, but I'm, I'm good in those type of situations. I I, I did not make a good decision, but I knew I needed to act. Um and I'm thinking, you know, what do we do? Do we call an ambulance? If I call an ambulance, I'm in, it's going to take two ambulances. It's going to take forever for them to get here. And I'm looking at my hand half blown off and I'm scared. And I had a decision to make. It, it wasn't a good one. But I decided I was going to drive us to the hospital. I hope. Oh, I helped him into the van. Oh, my
1: gosh.
2: Well, I mean, it's shocking, but my training should have told me, that that was not a good idea. If I would have made that drive, I would have gotten a wreck and I would have been carrying this guy down the street. We had about three miles to go and I was going to do whatever it took to get us to the hospital. But luckily I was pulling out of the parking lot out onto the street. And the third guy that was with us on the first floor, everyone else is on a different floor, comes running out of the building and he's screaming at me, let me drive. So I stopped the van, I scoot over, and I let him drive. Best decision I've ever made. I would have put someone else's safety in jeopardy had I made that that drive. Uh, That's something that I talk about. People need to be trained on what happens in an emergency. And driving yourself to the hospital is not something that you want to do.
1: But goodness gracious, I mean, you could never, you know, beat yourself up for that initial decision because I don't think anybody can comprehend the trauma and the experience that you went through. I mean, I understand that you could have all the credentials in the world, all the training in the world, but when but you are live in that moment. I just yeah, when I, I'm looking at my hand
2: half blown off, all the consequences yeah. of my next actions are not going through my head. My what's going through my head is he can't see, and my hand is in bad shape. I need to get to the hospital. And that's Absolutely. all I could focus on. I'm so thankful the third guy that was with us was there because without him, we would have had another accident on the way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So then so then fast forward to this recovery phase of your life then, because I can't imagine that it was a couple, a couple visits or a couple months of rehab. And this is all said and done and forgotten with, I'm I'm sure that's the phrase. I get
2: get flown to the university of Iowa burn unit. My wife is on maternity leave.
1: Oh my goodness. Wow.
2: She has our two month old daughter at home. Uh, My wife gets this phone call. I I don't have the guts to call her. I can't call her. I, I don't know what to say to my wife. You know, uh, I don't know if I'm going to be okay. I, by the reaction, everyone around me, no one told me that you're going to be fine. You're going to have some skin grafts. Your hand's not, your hand's going to be fine. No one told me anything. All I knew is I was going by helicopter and I was terrified. I was thinking I was going to die. Mm -hmm,
0: mm
1: -hmm. And my
2: best friend is an emergency room doctor. And I call him over and over and over again. Finally, he picks up the phone and, he was working that day, and when he walked into the room, and I saw the look on his face, I knew this isn't just a couple stitches, or this isn't just uh, no big deal. I'm in trouble here. And that's when the panic set in. He called my wife, and he told her, I, I didn't know what to say.
1: I, I'm i like trying to not get so emotional right now, because I can just... I can only imagine, as listeners can only imagine, but I I have a a four-month-old at home right now, and my husband works in the oil and gas construction industry, and I can only imagine the panic, the terror the fears running through your wife's mind as she's getting this phone call on maternity leave with a two month old, Mm -hmm. I can, I can't imagine Brandon, Holy smokes. So then your buddy calls your wife, lets her know what's going on. I'm sure she's in a state that we just, we just can't even, can't even comprehend so then are you in the same state as she in as she is in? Are you working in the same state or what's
2: Yeah, I was working 20 minutes from our house. Okay. But they flew me to a hospital 30 minutes away and that's you know that's really when the real panic set in because this is a 30 minute drive to this hospital from where I'm at. And they're going to take me by helicopter.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And this is it's one of the top hospitals in the country. And I don't know anybody who's went to this hospital and had a good outcome. Oh my and God. I'm thinking this is it. And, uh, I, I, I'm beyond scared.
1: So I have to ask during, during the time that you, you know, you see your, one of your good friends look at you the way he did and you're, you're you, are you 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 know, this isn't good. You're in excruciating pain. You're not even, you're probably not even all there. So when you're thinking I might not make it, what are some of the things, if you even remember, what are some of the things that do go through your mind during those times where you're thinking I might, this might be my last night here and my family's not with me. My two month old, oh, I don't even want to get emotional. My wife's not here. My two month old's not here. Like what's going through your mind?
2: I really I'm embarrassed to say this, but at this point, I didn't think a lot about my family. I just wanted to tell the people that I was going to impact the most that I was sorry. I wanted to call my boss and tell him I knew this wasn't a good decision. This is going to impact your company. I'm sorry. I tried calling multiple people in the helicopter, but I couldn't. Operate my phone. I was random dialing people my friends and my phone Telling them screaming that I was gonna die and I was sorry and They don't know how to react They try calling my wife. My wife is driving to the emergency room I couldn't talk to her at that time. I didn't know what was gonna happen, but I didn't know I I did not want to talk to her. I didn't know what to say. I just wanted to call my boss and tell him, this isn't how I planned to do this, and I'm sorry. But I couldn't work the phone.
1: You know what's so interesting about you saying that? It's, it's bringing up so many emotions. It's really interesting, the connection that we have. Um, one of my first major incidents was a really good friend that um, was working for a company. And long story short, he burns 40% of his body on a workplace accident. So we're at the hospital that night and it's that, that blur that you're talking about, but like this just happened and he's going into surgery. And the only thing that he's saying over and over again, and he's telling the boss, the boss of the company who loves him and cares for him, like his, you know, one of his own sons, a family member, he's just kept saying, I'm so Sorry me being in safety, Apollonia, I'm so sorry. And he kept apologizing and and we're in the hospital and I'm thinking, what are you talking about? Like, and he was just saying the same thing. So then you go back for surgery, your first of many and a huge journey. And so what does it take to recover I don't think you'll ever fully remember. So we gotta back
2: up for one second. Yeah, yeah. Uh when my wife walked into the room and she saw me, it ripped me apart because she just started crying and she ran out of the room, didn't say much to me. And I still haven't seen my face. And you know, my dad sees her running down the hallway crying and he thinks I just died. And then a few days later, I'm out of it for a little while, but a few days later, they take me into the bathroom and I look in the mirror and I see what my face looks like. And I'm thinking, nope, I'm not doing this every day, I'm done. I I went and told the nurse, I'm like, I want to go home. Just get me out of here. And I told my wife to leave, I said, I'm done. And she didn't understand what I meant. But at that moment, I wanted to die. I did not want everyone feeling sorry for me in my whole life. I did not want my wife to be married to this monster. I did not want to look in the mirror and see what I had become because of a decision. I, I, I didn't want to be stared at. I didn't want to be looked at. I didn't want my kids to see me as this person that they were embarrassed of. And I wanted to die. And took me a while to come out of that.
1: Oh my goodness. I, I can't imagine the emotions that you went through and that your family's going through during this time. And so what ends up, I mean, there's probably so many procedures, but what are some of the things that did end up happening what, what reconstruction ended up happening? How many, I mean, could you even know how many surgeries did you go through to get to this point
2: today? I mean, my injury was bad, but you know, compared to your friend that was 40%, I only had 16%. My hands, my arms, uh, and my face were what got burned. Had my clothing ignited. You're talking 90% body burns. Right. I got lucky. Uh, but my face was a disaster i did not have i had to have multiple surgeries on my hands before i could i couldn't make a fist for over a year i had three surgeries on my hands uh, to release do scar contracture releases uh very 59 physical therapy appointments in order to make a fist again And I'm extremely depressed during all of this because I can't take care of myself. Mm -hmm. I'm the type of person who takes care of other people. I can't button my pants. Mm -hmm. I can't button my shirt. I don't sleep. I am on all this morphine and medication. And I'm reading about all this stuff. and, And mentally, I am a disaster. And eventually, I realize I need to check myself into a mental hospital. I'm losing it. Uh, the, the doctors kept, you know, I kept asking for anxiety medication and they would give me Xanax. Well, I didn't know that Xanax was addictive and, uh, I, Xanax would just make it so that I didn't think about all of these things that were happening to me, but I didn't know it was a powerful narcotic. And, uh, once I realized what this, my, my, my friend that was a doctor, I went to him one day when I was out of Xanax and I said, Hey, can you give me a script for Xanax? Because he could just write a script and I don't have to go to the doctor. I don't have to make an appointment, nothing. He could just give me the, 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 the prescription. And he said, he said to me, he said, do you know what you're doing here? He said, I'll give you three pills, but that's it. Don't ask me for any more. You need to figure out a way to deal with this stuff. And it's not through medication. Oh my gosh. And the, what I was doing just set in at that point. I I you know I watched my biological father destroy his life with drugs and it wasn't going to be me. Mm-hmm. And once I saw, once I saw once he told me what this medication was doing to me I just stopped taking all of it. I said I'm done. And I stopped taking everything. And it wasn't an easy road. Uh, you know my poor wife that stuck with me deserves a medal of honor or something. Because I was a disaster for about four to five weeks. Uh, I had to get on sleeping medication. And once I started getting some sleep, you know, things got better relatively quickly. But I still was emotionally a wreck. You know, I I was very embarrassed. I went from what I thought was one of the top electricians in the company to this guy who was embarrassed to show their face at a safety meeting because everyone knew what I did. You know, who's going to ever give me a chance to... To prove that I knew what I was doing, I didn't have any other skills. You know, I didn't go to college. I knew how to do electrical work, and that was it. I, I my, my, uh, abilities to find other work were very limited at this point. I had no computer skills. You know, it wasn't like I could go talk to people or sell anything. I'm just used to going out and doing some work and working hard and going home at the end of the day. Yeah. So I, I really didn't know what my possibilities were. And, and I was very scared for the future of my family. How am I going to provide? You know, I had a new house, a new baby on the way. I was just married. I was very scared of what was going to happen.
1: And what in the world did your boss say with you, with these fears that you have of, I, you know, my I going to be, am I going to be given a second chance in, in these real fears? And I love, before you even answer that, I, I really appreciate and the audience, I know, r- deeply appreciates the perspective of the physical injuries are just one thing, but the emotional okay. journey. When,
2: when, you, when you can't, you know, I, I couldn't squeeze, I couldn't make a fist. I could squeeze three pounds with my left, 25 pounds with my right. I couldn't hold my daughter. I lost 45 pounds when I was in the hospital. I could barely stand up. And I was like a little kid that my wife had to take care of when I got sent home. I I was in the hospital for about five weeks, and then I got sent home. And I didn't want to go home because I knew that I would be a burden on my wife. I tried to stay there as long as I could because she had enough to take care of. I mean, she was working, taking care of a newborn, trying to take me to my appointments, trying to deal with my emotions and it was too much for any one person to handle and how she got through this. I mean, she's the one who, who dealt with all this. I had to deal with the physical problems, but she's the one who navigated the ship and got me out of these dark waters. Wow. These sleepless
1: nights, the, the pain, the agony, the stress, the emotional terror. What was keeping you to the next day? I mean, this is... This I, is I, I
2: remember wanting to commit suicide and thinking, all of this is going to go away if I just get this done. You know, my wife is going to, her problems will go away. She'll meet someone else. Everything will be Okay. You know, my daughter isn't old enough to know me. I was justifying all these reasons in my mind why I didn't need to be here and how much easier it was going to be for everyone else. And I remember looking in the mirror one day, and I had this line on my forehead. You could see right where my burn stopped, right where this – my face was bright as an apple for probably – Six months to a year after the accident, I remember looking in the mirror and I thought, you know, if it doesn't get any better, I can live with this. This isn't that bad. I'm okay. But I was still embarrassed. I still had no confidence. I still was not doing very well. And, you know, I got called back into work and they asked me to do this safety job. And I'm thinking to myself, I am going to be the best safety person that I can possibly be. I mean, the company had a mess on their hands for safety the year before I took over. I mean, they there was a small company, 70 employees, but we had 12 OSHA recordables the year I got hurt. That's Oh, my gosh. Bad.
1: Oh, my goodness. Uh, what? So this so, is how you're reintroduced back to the company. So first of all, I guess really quick, what did your boss say when you first got on the phone with him? I mean, the, the first couple of calls that you remember and what is he saying?
2: Well, I got to break this down for you. The The president of the company was very supportive. He was very understanding, told me he wasn't going to fire me. He, he was going to work with me. Uh, I couldn't have asked for a better mentor to help me with my career at this point. I owe that guy a lot. He was very calm, cool-headed, and thought through situations. And he knew I was a good worker, a good person, someone that brought value. You can't just replace someone like me overnight. Um, the owner of the company, you know, not so much, you know, I respect that guy for the, the company that he built up, but he came in there and he, he I, I remember him saying to me, did you learn anything? And my eyes are swelled shut. My lips are so big. I can barely open. Cause when you get burns on your face, your skin contracts and I can barely open my mouth to talk because I had to have this thing to stretch my mouth open in yeah. at all times or I wouldn't be able to open up my mouth to eat yeah. and my wife got very angry at him and kicked him out of the room. As I would. Uh, I don't think that he knew that she, how angry she was but she still talks about it today.
1: Yeah,
2: uh, I but bet. The president of the company and, and, and I still have a very good relationship. I have a lot of respect for him and uh, he's still someone that I consider a friend today.
1: Okay, well, then that's out of the way. That was the response. So then when you are able to come back to work, this company says, please come back. We want you and want you to be in safety. What were your initial thoughts about that? You, you, this is not the same. Thing. Yeah, I,
2: I'm thinking I'm not qualified. Oh. I mean, I just blew myself up. I did something absolutely stupid. Why would you want to put someone like me who at a total disregard for safety and charge of safety. And even if I am able to take this job on, who's going to listen to me after what I did? What they say? Well, I, I didn't have any other options. I mean, I had a mortgage to pay. I needed a job. And this was the easy way out was if I tell them, no, I have no job, who's going to hire me in this condition? So for my family's sake, I need to go out there and see if I can do this. And one of the first things that I did is I got out of OSHA recordable logs and I studied and I categorized, I broke down each one of those accidents to which manager was that person working for. And I looked for patterns in each one of those accidents. And then I said to myself, how did each one of these accidents happen? And I looked at each accident. Was it a cut? Was it an eye injury? Was it a Was it, you know, something from uh, working with a tool or a back injury or a knee injury and once I would look back at these accidents and I'd look at that person and I'd say, well, this guy had a back injury and he was pulling wire and he's 60 years old. We know that he shouldn't have been pulling wire. Like to me, if you if you're going to take safety seriously, you need to the the foreman or someone in charge of look at the overview of the project. Every person is like a puzzle piece. They need to fall into that team. and You can't have the oldest guy on the crew on the wire pole. Uh, Somebody's going to get hurt. Or you can't have, you know, someone that's out of shape, overweight, they have a place in that. But we can't have them carrying heavy equipment up steps. Something's going to happen. And I think too many times, companies think, you know, if you're an employee, you should be able to do anything that they ask of you. And Maybe that's true, but you're risking accidents when that happens. I mean, maybe the older person needs to be paired with the younger person so that the physical work can be done by the younger person and the older person oversees or assists instead of doing the work. But I started to look for these patterns. And I said to myself, you know, all these accidents are avoidable. I could have told you that this was going to happen. If we don't have a safety glass policy, you're going to have eye injuries. That's exactly what happened. If we don't all wear gloves, you're going to have cuts. That's going to happen. And um, we, we started to put in policies into place where, you know, everybody's going to wear safety glasses. Everybody's going to wear gloves. Everybody's going to wear hard hats. And we're not going to do energized work. You know, the company, without me even there, came up with this hot work policy, which we should have been doing from the start. But in order to do energized work, you have to have a manager sign off on mm-hmm. it. Well, that was great at the beginning, but then towards the end, you know, I at the end of the year I'd total up all of our hot work permits and we'd have over a hundred hot work permits. And I'd go back and I'd look at these and I'd say, We didn't need to do energized work in ninety percent of these. But managers were okay. So we had to go back, train the managers. And you know, talk to the employees, and we shouldn't be taking these risks. Uh, even if you put the PPE on, that's the last line of defense. It's not the first. And it took some cultural change to get there. And I had to go to some of the largest companies. I remember I met with a guy from Mortenson, Mortenson Construction. They're one of the largest. Uh, they're one of the largest general contractors in the country. And this guy had an amazing safety record. And I watched his presentation and I saw his pie charts, how he broke down injuries and all the data that he had collected in this. And I thought to myself, that guy is the real deal. I don't have the education to become him, but I can learn a lot from him. And I sat down with him after a safety conference and I just started asking all these questions and asking him, you know, he basically gave me a roadmap on how to achieve what he did. And then I'd go find someone else and I'd go find someone else. And they all had this one thing in common. Mm -hmm. You have to have the lookout for one another safety culture. You can have all the rules and all the regulations you want. But if people aren't out there looking out for everyone around them, the safety manager cannot take the brunt of this load. They're not going to go out there and be the safety police. You need the help of every person around you to have the safety culture and create it if you're going to get to that goal of zero. And to me, that goal of zero, that's what I thought about when I went to bed and when I got up. And that was on my mind at all times. And I'd look at the tasks that the guys were gonna do that day and I'd say to myself, where's something gonna go wrong here? And I'd go out and I'd watch to make sure, go through the processes to make sure that we didn't have any injuries. The first year I didn't do perfect. We had three injuries, but we went from 12 down to three. I was three. Just gonna say, and I'm thinking, that's 12 powerful.
1: to three, I mean, that's fantastic, holy smokes, okay?
2: The second year, I got it down to zero. I had a lot of people that helped me, but I was like, I felt like I won the Super Bowl. I was like, yes, we yeah, did. Yeah, that is. But the thing that happened that I feel unfortunate about, I had the wrong attitude. I, re- I remember thinking, you know, if you don't follow the rules, we're going to write you up. Yeah. And I wrote a lot of people up. And I remember one guy got fired. And to this day, I feel horrible about it. In my mind, I thought, you know what? We have to change things. If there has to be a sacrificial lamb, then that's what it has to be. We have to change people. But I, the firing was out of my hands. But I'm thinking, when this guy got fired, if anybody should have been fired, it should have been me. And I'm thinking, if you know, when everyone else hears about this, they're going to say, why are you still working here? And he's not. What you did was way worse than him. And I agree with them. And it bothered me emotionally. I was a wreck when that happened. I tried to stop it from happening, but it was out of my hands. The the owner of the company said, we're not tolerating this. And they fired him. But I feel like I could have handled the situation better. I shouldn't have taken it to the the management. I should have trained him. I should have taken him under my wing and I should have... uh, You know, I I wish I could take back some of those write ups that I did because I was I was like a highway patrolman out there. You break the rules, I'm going to write you up. And while that maybe scared people into safety, I wish that I would have trained people into safety.
1: I like that. That's a ding ding ding. That's something to write down and and take for no. But to give yourself some grace, do you think that looking back, do you feel like that? enforcement mentality, that hyper focus on safety was really deeply rooted in, in caring because this was so real life to you and safety was,
2: so it was, and, and I took this, you know, I remember sitting down with, with the owner, the president that I had a lot of respect for. And he said, you know, during these management meetings, we never used to talk about safety. Now we always talk about safety. And, you know, I don't think he was excited about as many write-ups as I did. I think he looked at me as kind of the safety police. Well, we needed drastic change very quickly. And to me, that was the quickest way to go from 12 to drastic change. I didn't have time for the training right then. We just needed compliance. And once we started to go towards the compliance direction, then we could bring in the training piece That was the quickest way that I knew how. I wasn't trained. I didn't have a lot of uh, mentors to help me through this. So it's what we did. Was it the best way? No, but we did get some good results. If I could go back again, I'd do it differently. But when you have a short amount of time to turn something around, uh, to me, it's what had to be done. Um, The third year, after we hit that zero, I was like, my mission's accomplished I did not like the write-ups. I did not like the, the being the bad guy all the time. And I was looking for a way out. I thought, you know, I needed a break because that zero was all I talked about. It's all I thought about. I was obsessed with it. And once I hit it, I was like, I'm out. You guys, I, I made up for what I did. I got this zero. I don't wanna do this anymore.
1: So then you left. And
2: I got asked to come, I learned, so I would do these presentations. i probably do 10 presentations a year. And I got asked to apply for this apprenticeship instructor job. And I would get to teach apprentices electrical safety. Now I had to teach a lot of other stuff, but if you would have told, I told them when I went there, if you want me, I'm teaching electrical safety because I can bring the passion. I can make it real life. I can make a difference and show these guys why we're gonna do things differently and impact them before they even get out there to make the wrong yeah, decisions. yeah and and I wanted that job bad. And I ended up getting okay. it. And I did that job for about three years, and electrical safety I loved doing. And I got the I, you know I got asked to go work for this other company, and it was so hard for me to turn down. Uh, they wanted me to go out there and train people in NFpa seventy e full time. But, you know, I'm 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 making pretty good money at this electrical apprenticeship training and I'm home every night. And I wanted to do my speaking and I'm doing around 10 events a year. And if I go do this, this training job, I'm going to be gone. You know, it was 90 percent travel. It was going to be less money. And I, I I just after everything my wife had been through, I couldn't go to her and say, I'm sorry, but I'm I'm never going to be home, and I'm going to take a pay cut. It just uh,
1: you guys have a little one it, at home too. It's like no, you're going nowhere. I need help.
2: Yes. Okay. So uh, I ended up doing that job for about three okay. years, and my speaking started to pick up, uh, but then it died back down. And I thought to myself, you know. The only reason I got through this or what really gave my event a purpose is when I started speaking about it, and I would see the emotion that I could pull out of the crowd and how they would look at me and come talk to me and tell me what a difference my story made to them and how it impacted them. And that's when my, my true healing started oh my because everything that I went through was not just a waste. It wasn't for nothing. I went through this to try to help people and I can make a difference and I can stop it from happening to them. Yeah. So I started doing these presentations and as that started to grow, you know, my boss is saying, I went to him and I got my first, well, I have to back up a second. Uh, I thought I was a pretty good speaker. I had probably done 50, 60 events over, you know, four or five years. And I, you know, the response, I had done some keynotes with 500 people and I'd get a line of 10 people waiting to talk to me and I thought I was pretty good. And I met this speaker and I would have pretty good you know, local success speaking, but I met this speaker, Eric Gageer at a, he, he got buried alive with, uh, in, in a trench and I watched his story and I saw how he was impacting people and he was impacting people way more than I was. And I thought to myself, I need to go meet this guy. He was all over the country. So after the event, I went and talked to him and I said, you know, how did you do this? And he said, you know, a lot of people want to speak. If you have what it takes, I can help you out. And I'm thinking, I've got what it takes. I've spoken in front of groups before. I saw this response. So he gave me this number to call. And I called this guy. And he said to me, his name was Dale Lazinski. He came up with the Safe for the Right Reasons. Uh, It's another presentation. And he had helped Keena Rep and a lot of other big-name speakers. And I Googled them, and I saw, wow, these guys are nationwide speakers. They're doing very well. And I went out, and I – met him and he said to me, well, I had a phone call with him and he said, would you go down to Houston and do this event for me and we'll video you and see if you have what it takes. And I'm thinking we're going the wrong way on this. He wasn't going to pay any of my expenses. I was going for free, but you know, I thought I've spent more than this on a rough night at the bar. So whatever, I'll I'll go try it. And I went down there and I spoke and I had two or three people inquire afterwards. And I, I thought I did pretty good. And a few days afterwards, you know, this guy's emailing me, wanting me to give this presentation for this large company down in Houston. And I thought, wow, he, this guy's going to like me. And he calls me and he says to me, would you bring your wife, come out to, to uh, you need to come out to Buffalo and meet with us and let's have a meeting. And I looked this guy up and he's got video sales and all these other speakers have videos and he's booking all this stuff all over the country. And I'm thinking we're going to do this big speaking gig. And um, I went and met with him, and we watched my presentation in a hotel conference room. And he ripped me apart for four oh hours—four hours of sitting there just telling me what I did wrong. And he didn't say much that I did <laughs> right. And uh, but was it
1: good? I went home. Did it make
2: you? I went home and I felt defeated. I just felt like you know I thought I was something that I wasn't, and. uh, I went home and I worked on this presentation and I had pages of notes that I took and I worked on it over, rewriting it over a period of three weeks. And then I'd go to the library and I'd record myself doing it over and over and over again until I got something that I thought was okay. But now my confidence isn't where it was. And uh, I watched all these safety videos of Remember Charlie, I watched Charlie Moorcraft, I watched Tony Crow, I watched Chad Hymas. And I, every time I watched one of those guys, I said to myself, they're pretty good. This is stiff competition. And, but there was something I learned that I could incorporate from watching each one of them into my yeah, story. Yeah. So when I got this thing, I sent it to Dale and he watched it and with a couple hours, he called me back and he said, you nailed wow. it. And He started sending me out to these safety conferences, and the reaction was just off the chains. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And I started getting all these bookings throughout the country. Well, now I go to my boss, and I tell him, you know, my first big one was 811 Call Before You Dig in New York. And they wanted me to come out for three weeks and give nine presentations over three weeks. And I go tell my boss, I'm doing this. And he says to me, I guess I'll give you the time off, but you get no more for the rest of the year. And this is March and I have to go till end of December with no more time off. And the speaking events, I got another one and another one. And now I don't have the guts to tell my boss because I already know what the answer is. And I have to quit my job. And I have four events lined up. I tell my wife, I'm quitting my job and I'm going to go try to do this. And it was pretty scary. But, uh, that first year I ended up booking 70 oh events and, uh, I found a company that would work with my schedule. I worked part-time for them. I really didn't need it because my first year turned out really good, but I tried to work two jobs just because it was a big question mark. Sure. You know, every time you book something, you don't know if this is the last yeah, one. Yeah. And then the second year I booked a hundred events and I thought, wow. This is great. And I had a company, the Tri-City Electric, that I work for that that they let me, you know, work whenever I could as an electrician. And I felt like, you know, I need to keep doing this because it keeps me understanding the, the decisions that everyday workers face. And I liked going out there being part of the guy, being part of the construction crew. And then I would also get to go out there and talk about safety. And I thought it gave me a perspective that a lot of other people yeah. didn't have. So I tried my best to juggle and do both and uh for some reason tri-city let me do this and it, and it worked out the second year i did 100 events the third year that i was speaking full-time i did 100 events in three months and i could not work anymore. oh
1: my gosh brandon though like i don't even i can't even imagine <laughs> holy smoke
2: no my wife was like you got to stop like i was gone sunday through friday for three yeah. months And she's like thinking that I get to make my own schedule and I can tell people when I can come and when I can't. But what I quickly learned as I got into this speaking, these people have an event. And if you tell them, no, you're not getting that event, you might get it next year. But I had to go out and I just thought, I'm not telling anyone, no, this is what I wanted to do. This is what I need to do. And I went out and did those hundred events in three months and COVID hit. And I was so happy that I had done this because the world came to a stop. But I had done a year's worth of work in three months, and I was ready for a break anyway. And I thought, you know, if I don't book anything else for the rest of this year or next year, I don't care. I need to be home with my family. And we just hunkered down, and uh, we were fine. But it was because I did those 100 events in three months that I I was able to do that.
1: Oh, my gosh, Brandon, You... You are so you are you're incredible. You're incredible um listening to your journey on how you have you've overcome such trauma and, uh, and surviving uh, an event that almost took your life. And you had a two-month-old at the time and a wife who needed you. And to see, just to hear your journey and to hear you light up when you talk about that you were able to take this pain and this experience and turn it, turn it into a purpose, and our pain oftentimes it is our purpose. Right. And so to hear that you took this experience and you didn't let it defeat you, you didn't let it, um, stop you from living your life and, and essentially fulfilling your greatest potential, which is to impact so many lives and, uh, workers boots on the ground, safety professionals on how they can look at safety, different, do things different. But, um, you're so inspiring and to wrap this up because I've taken way too much of your time. I know we're over. So thank you for giving us that, giving me this extra time with you to put it into, into a close. What has been, if you're sitting in front of 10, 10, uh, 10 workers, they ha- they don't have a lot of experience and let's say it's an electrical safety class and you know they're new to the industry they don't really know what they're getting themselves into what is that advice that golden advice that you would give just your average everyday person before they enter in this industry what advice do you give somebody like that
2: well my presentation did start out with you know i want to impact electrical workers but it quickly changed into I can use my experiences I say during my presentation electricity is what did the damage to my body my attitude on safety is what oh caused it Oh my gosh this. that's good so my my perspective is anyone can learn from my experiences yeah. I tailor and tweak the presentation to make it you know ap- applicable to anyone and uh you know if I were to sit down with a new group doesn't matter who it is I would say to them You're going to see people that are doing things that that may break rules. You're going to work with people that are rule followers, and you're going to work with people that are rule breakers. You are the future of our company, and we need your help to transition those people into rule followers. We cannot have another group of people that are coming through that have a disregard for safety, and it's not their fault. I mean, a lot of people... 20 years ago, things were different and you develop your habits and it's hard to break those old habits. And But everyone has value. Every person that shows up for work on time has a place and a purpose to help that company be successful. But we need certain people to be leaders on the safety and to bring the other people on board. You know, I was not a safety leader, but I was a hard worker. That doesn't mean I don't have a place yeah. in the company. We need everybody to make a team and if somebody would have looked at me that day and said, what you're doing is not safe, it's not worth it, we're not doing this that way, I would have had no choice but yeah. to listen. But it's you have to create a culture where that's acceptable, where that can happen. And if you're in the new guy, the last thing that you want to do is go tell somebody who's been with the company a number of years, don't do that, because you think that they yeah, know what they're yeah. doing. But the person that's taking those risks you know, And the thing that I think is the person that's taking those risks, you're teaching the other people, those are acceptable risks. Nothing's yeah. going to happen to you. I do this all the time. Nothing's happening to me. You have to get those people to say it's okay to stop a project. It's okay to ask questions. And you have to encourage it. And if you're not getting any questions and you're not getting any feedback from the new people – you need to go to those new people and ask them, what's going on? How can we improve? Bring them in on the part of the process and let them know what the vision is, where you, where you are currently and where you want to go, and really mold those new people to help turn the ship into what you want it wow. to turn into and have that lookout for one another's safety culture. And I've put all of that into a presentation. Everything that I've learned, every video that I've watched, I've tried to take little bits and pieces from everything and put it into one. And I think that's what makes my presentation. unique.
1: Oh my gosh, everyone. Brandon Schroeder for you today. Holy smokes. This has been the most incredible story um, shared on the podcast. I am so grateful to have been able to talk with you and listen to your story. And I'm just, I'm so excited for the people that you've impacted today that are listening. And you've you've inspired me, you've inspired every single person listening. Guys, um, we're gonna link Brandon's contact information please do not hesitate to reach out to him directly. And if you want to have this story times a hundred, because he could come to your, you know, maybe, maybe come to your company or whatever it is um, in real life. But if you just need any questions, anything, we're going to connect you with Brandon. Okay. And thank you again, Brandon, for, for going over on time with me and thank you for being here today and yeah, you've, you've impacted a lot of lives today. So thank you so much.
2: Thank you for making me be part of this and, uh, anything I can do to ever help anyone. You know, I say it during my presentation, I'm just the type of person that can't <laughs> tell people no. If you reach out to me, I'm going to do my best
1: to help you. Oh my goodness. Well, this, I, I really hope that for me, this isn't the last time that we talk. I hope that we could, um, connect in the near future and have you on the show again, because I would love, I mean, we didn't even, we didn't even touch 90% of the things. I mean, I, you know, listening to your story, but I have so many, so many more questions for you. So I hope that we could do a part two if you're up for it. So...
2: Yeah, anytime. And if you're in any of the big conferences, uh, please send me an email, look me up. I love meeting people and talking to them. So I I go to a lot of the big conferences, the NSCs, the VPPAs. I was just at the Granger show. So You know, I I love talking Awesome! So you
1: heard it from Brandon, guys. Do not be shy. If you see him at one of these conferences, go reach out to him and connect. So thank you for that invitation, Brandon. So awesome. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. And we'll talk to you soon. But thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the True Safety Podcast with Apollonia Rockwell. If you are looking to save time and money with your safety program this year, we'd love to hear from you. Head to truesafetyservices.com slash podcast to schedule a free call with our team where we will help you identify the biggest opportunities for growth in your company and safety program and we'll connect you with the right resources to help you grow. Again, that is truesafetyservices.com slash podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We will see you next week. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and share with your friends. If you know anyone who needs to hear this episode today, Click the share button and send them this episode.